Well, good morning and welcome. It's great to have you all here with us. Good morning if you're online. It's great to have you with us and I trust you feel a part and belong to KSBC as well. Um, My name's Pete. I am one of the pastors here at the church. Um, And if you're new, I want to extend a a great welcome to you as well and trust that you feel that you can engage um, in this space with uh, the rest of us here. Whether you've been here for a day or... 30 years, um, you belong here. Uh, a couple of announcements. Um, things are starting to kick off in the next couple of weeks. We won't have any night church for the next two weeks. That starts again on the 11th of Feb. Uh, Jordan will be taking his uh, youth team and young adults team away next week and uh, doing some stuff with them, getting prepared for the year. Um, so they're back. Uh, night church is back on the 11th. And youth is back on the 9th of Feb at 7 p.m. And it all kicks off. So if you've got uh, children in in youth, sort of youth age, high school age, or young adults. That all kicks off in a couple of weeks' time. But what does kick off uh, this week, this Tuesday, is Grief Share. You would have heard if you've been around the church over the last sort of uh, couple of months, uh, Jeanette is running, uh, Pastor Jeanette is running Grief Share. Um, If you're someone you know is interested, it isn't too late, I believe, to still sign up for Grief Share. Um, if If grief is something that you've been wrestling with, or if you You've lost a loved one in the last little while and just trying to just gather up what that means to grieve. Um, you can come along and learn in a safe space, in a safe group um, with Pastor Jeanette. She will lead you through that as well. You can register with the church either in the office, talk to Jeanette, or you can uh, go straight to the Grief Share website, find out a little bit more about it as well. Friday the 2nd of Feb. Is that this coming Friday? That is too. We're already in February. Can you believe that? Friday the 2nd of Feb is um, ladies uh, welcome to chat over cake 1.30 till 3.30pm here. Um, two good things to do, chatting and cake. So um, put it in your diaries, 1.30. We'd love to have you here. Great way to start the year um, to get together with other people. Um, that would be good. So all ladies are welcome. Um, couple of just uh, uh, housekeeping things. If you're a ministry leader, uh, you'll need to send through uh, a report for uh, KSBC's annual report. We've got to collate that within the next couple of weeks. Uh, Joe needs to be able to put it all together and we get it out for you to read what's been happening all throughout the church over this past year. And then we'll approve that at the QMC at the end of February as well. I just wanted to let you know, yesterday, uh, our leadership team, so our diaconate and our pastors, uh, we got together and started praying and thinking about what it means to belong to KSBC. And so through this year, and next week we'll start a series all seeking into belonging, what does it mean to belong? And it was a really good time for us as a leadership to start to ask that question. What does it mean to belong? So you might like to think this week about what... Belonging means to you, belonging to a family, belonging to a church family, belonging to a workplace, belonging to a community group. What does it mean to belong? So have a think about that throughout this week and have a chat to any one of our leaders. You'll know who our leaders are because our faces are on the the community notice board out there. Go have a look at them, find out who they are and then find one and say, what what do you think it means to belong? Because we had a good chat about it yesterday. Uh, If you were here before Christmas, we had a few of our young people come up and tell us they were heading off on summer mission. And uh, that's come and that's gone. As quickly as it came, it has gone as well. But we've got some people that um, I think they're all here. Yes, they are. Um, That are going to come up and share. We've got um, Cody's going to come up. Joel's going to come up. Jaden's going to come up. And Iona's going to come up. Have we got anyone else that went on summer mission that I might have missed? No? Everyone seems happy? Good. Don't want to miss anyone. But these young people have given up their time, their space, their summer um, to go off and serve um, Jesus on mission. And um, I thought it'd be awesome for them to be able to share a little bit, just a story, a highlight of what summer mission meant to them. And hopefully, I know, I know it will encourage you in, uh, in our walk as well. So where are we going to start? We'll start up this end and we'll walk through. 
Um, yeah, so Iona and I were together on Ocean Grove Blue Moose, and it was the fourth time that that has run. So it was really cool just to, um, we've like got regulars now that come each time, and just to be able to see them like really excited to come, um, and like yeah, just they love us for just the kind people that we are. So it was really cool. Like one of the the little girls wrote like this note to us saying like, oh, I love the people on Blue Moose because they are so kind and friendly. And that was just really exciting to kind of get that. Yeah, and there was a, a drawing, um, what was it? it had like Jesus in it. Um, and it was, yeah, so it was really cool just to like see the, the impact we're having on them, not just from what we're sharing, but also just us being who we are with them. And that was, yeah, really exciting. And then that just kind of went throughout the whole time, just having these continued relationships with probably five to ten um, people like, throughout the entire time. So that was, that was really a highlight for me. That same family, I was really encouraged um, to see how much God had done in their lives since we were there last, um, how much answered prayer there was. Like one of them has started going to youth group at the local church, which we kind of partner with, which is just exactly what we want. And um, the little girl who made the card that Joel was talking about, we gave her a kid's Bible last year and she has actually been reading it. Um, And when I asked her about it one night, like, have you been reading your Bible? She just casually was like, yeah, I read it with my friend last night. And I was like, that's amazing that she's in her own little innocent way sharing Jesus with other people, um, even though she doesn't fully know him yet herself. I thought that was awesome. Um, And one more thing that I found really cool was um, New Year's Eve was an absolute highlight for our team. Um, Yeah, we were just filled with so much joy just straight from God and um, we went out onto the beach that night to play volleyball and spike ball and we had heaps of um, young people coming through even though the beach was pretty much empty Um, and at one point we had a whole group of teenage boys there, people that I would find kind of intimidating and one of our new team members, a girl, was due to share her testimony that night Um, and even though it wasn't our normal kind of way of, sh- our normal kind of forum for sharing testimonies. She was still up for doing it. So she, there was just this beautiful image of her standing on the beach with this circle of tough teenage boys around her and her just pouring her heart out as she shares her story. And it was just so poignant. And then afterwards, one of the boys um, went up to her, which I think is so brave, and they said to her, Um, that he kind of used to have a faith but it's kind of dropped off and her sharing her story was a really good reminder for him um, to kind of come back to faith and what that means and what that looks like. So I thought that was awesome. Um, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that is awesome. Um, So I was at a different location. Um, I was with the Port Arlington Blue Moose um, where I was... Um, one of the main leaders out there. So that was the first time I had been there um, and was um, responsible for leading a bunch of young adults there. Um, And one of the biggest highlights of our time there was um, we, the way we structured our time or our trip was to have a break day on New Year's Day, after New Year's Eve, which is typically a pretty big evening for us. And so we had that break day, and the day after that was the worst weather day we had, where it was raining all day, and typically our shop location is, like, focused around being outside. So being inside was a bit challenging. Um, But that night was actually one of our best nights in the way we actually saw um, God... Um, provide people to actually come along when it was raining outside. We actually started the night um, praying um, like we weren't expecting anyone to come. We were like, we're going to have a really good time as a team and build that community, which is another really important part of the trip. Um, But God showed up and brought people along when we absolutely weren't even expecting it. Um, and we had people able to actually um, share with them about their own faith journey and open up those conversations um, on a night when we just absolutely didn't expect it. Um, so it was really awesome seeing um, the way yeah, our team was able to, on 
a otherwise pretty miserable night um, actually have probably one of our best nights of the trip, um, both in terms of seeing God work and actually building our team community, um, which is, yeah, kind of the whole point of what we're wanting to do and see at Blue Moose. Um, yeah, over to you. Thank you. Uh, hi, I'm Cody. Uh, I don't do Blue Moose. I do SCS Australia with uh, Portland, so down like five hours away. Uh, I'm in a unique position where we have, let's say, like 90 plus people on team, so very big team. And so uh, part of my team, we were doing, uh, uh, what were we doing? Uh, cafe stuff, and so we would open up a cafe, and then it would be completely free. We would make drinks. We would... Uh, so food and our whole purpose was just to build relationships and love on these uh, people with sometimes very misfortunate uh, backgrounds. And so uh, one of my highlights was uh, I love making coffee, I love coffee, and so I'm on the coffee machine uh, pumping out coffees, things like that. And then this kid comes over and it's like, oh, can I make coffee for you? I'm like, sure, you're 12 years old, let's make coffee. And so... Um, start teaching this kid how to make like pure like simplicity of coffee, which is actually really easy to make. Um, and from that, we ended up having a very like beautiful conversation about faith and church and just his background with just life. Um, and then another small highlight is because I am with a massive team. You see a lot of goodness in other people in your team, and you see a lot of serving. You see a lot of servant heartness. And so to me, it's like a glimmer of like the potential of what each and every individual have because of the joy that they have and the love that they have to serve people. So yeah, that's me. Yes. So, so good to see young people giving of themselves, isn't it? And I mean, Cody, you guys have all done exactly what you're just saying, served others um, before yourself because it's easy to go on holiday and have fun for yourself but actually you've done this all for others hey jordan's going to pray for you guys and give thanks for what's happened let's pray church Uh, lord jesus we thank you so much for each of these guys and girls and uh the mission uh that they uh went on this summer and the teams and all the work that you were doing uh this summer and lord we think of the parable of the sower And we thank you for the seeds that were sown and scattered through them and their teams and the ministry. Lord, we pray for protection over those seeds, Lord. We ask uh, that birds will not come in and and swoop and take them. We pray that the roots would grow deep so that uh, the sun will not scorch them. Uh, Lord, we pray that that it would not fall on, on rocky ground, um, Lord, and we pray that you'll, uh, that thorns will not rise up and, and overtake it. Uh, Lord, we pray for these seeds that were sown and we ask that you uh, have your hand over them. And Lord, we thank you for uh, these guys and girls and their obedience to follow you into mission. And we pray that you would continue to uh, use them and their gifts and their, their abilities and their, their heart for mission uh, to further your kingdom. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Very exciting. Uh, We're going to come to a time where we give a little back to our Lord as well. So why don't I pray now and then um, as we prepare to receive our offering. If you're online, you might want to go to our website and there's a little give tab that you can give uh, through our online um, space as well. So let's, let's pray and we'll take up our offering. Our Lord and God, we do give you thanks that together, as we've just heard, we can serve you, we can work to build your kingdom here in Kilsyth and beyond. And as we give, Lord, may we give with hearts that are eager to see you do more and more in and throughout this community. We thank you for the gifts that come in through the bank, through the gifts that come in through the church here. And we um, thank you that, Lord, you give us wisdom to use it for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Well, thanks, Alan and team. Uh, One reminder...
that I forgot to say during the announcements, really important one, is next Sunday we're going to have a fellowship lunch along with our Zoe community that meets in the afternoon. Uh, there's going to be lots of food, but we ask that if you're coming along, if you can uh, bring just a small plate of something to share as a whole community, that would be wonderful. So um, yeah, it would be great. If you're able to bring something to share, please just bring something. Um, you don't have to feed the masses. But every, if we, lots of people bring lots of small bits, we'll have plenty of food. The Zoe do bring their food as well. It's so good. So worth being there for that. So that's next Sunday after church. So put in your diaries to stick around. It'll be great to have you there. We're going to come to a time of prayer. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we give you praise because your creation is so incredibly amazing. Lord, the heavens declare your greatness. The skies display your handiwork. We stand in awe at the incredible organisms that we see and we may not even know about. Thank you for the beauty and the vastness of this world that we live. It speaks to who you are as creator God. Lord, we as you, as your creation, we're reminded that you give us, you equip us to go on mission. And we thank you for the young people that we've seen this morning that encouraged us to think about who are we speaking to Jesus about? How are we being your hands and your feet in our community? Lord, may we as your created beings be on board with your mission to, to uh, enhance your kingdom, to further your kingdom in this area and beyond. Lord, we think of those who we support, who at the start of a new year are maybe not at home but are over on a mission field. We think of those who, um, who share their lives daily with different cultures in order to share you with them, people who don't know you. We think of our neighbours who maybe sometimes uh, rub us up the wrong way or we don't get along with or maybe we just don't ever see them. Lord, we pray that we have a heart for them. Our heart grows deeper and deeper for them, that we may show your love and your grace towards them. Lord, we give you thanks for the people of this church. Lord, for those who are able to be here, but for those who aren't, for those who are watching online, who are not able to get to church for whatever reason that might be, we want to lift them to you. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that they may sense that you are with them, that they are part of a community, a loving community of KSBC, that they belong. Our Lord, for those who are not well, those who are in hospital at the moment, who would love to be with us. Lord, we lift them to you. Lord, may at this moment you embrace them, that they may know your love and the love that this church has for them as well. Our Lord, we pray that as we kick into a year of ministry, as youth groups, as uh, children's ministries, as craft groups, as um, homework club, as all these things start to move on and start to get going in the next couple of weeks. Lord, may they continue to honour you. May they continue to seek to serve you in all they do. We thank you that it's a vibrant church here. But may we not just be vibrant because we like doing stuff. May we be vibrant because, Lord, you're calling us to do. You're calling us into more. You're calling us to be your hands and your feet in this world. Help us serve well. So, Lord, this morning, may we continue to listen, learn and grow. May we be encouraged to encourage one another. I give you thanks for Gary, for the message you've put on his heart. And pray, Lord Jesus, that we may have open hearts, open minds and open ears to hear from you. Amen. Now, Vanessa, can I invite you to read the Bible for us? Thank you.
The Bible reading is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. I'm reading from the NIV version. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you uh, once again. Um, I bought uh, in a series that we're doing uh, Life Together uh, Sunday week back. I did uh, a a study on uh, uh, forgiving one another. And uh, at the conclusion of the service, a number of folks said to me, "Uh, do you have any notes for that? And I also asked my wife, Judy, the same thing. Well, I I did uh, some... 15 years ago, I think I produced them on that topic and I was able to dust them off and they're available on the stand just outside the doors for if anyone uh, wishes to follow through on that request. And also this morning, there are some fuller notes uh, regarding this morning's topic as well. And uh, if uh, we've run out of them, and I think we may have, uh, then uh, uh, the office will be able to supply some more uh, before we go home this morning, I understand. Now, I do wish that on a Sunday morning, when I had the topic, encourage one another, that I could encourage Pastor Peter. But I've got to say that I am greatly disappointed. I feel let down. Uh, We we pastors, you know, have a dignity to uphold. (laughs) And as an older pastor, I'm very conscious of the uh, esteem in which the public hold us. And Peter, you've damaged that esteem, I running around the church building with an egg in your mouth, I mean, fair dinkum. The next thing, the next thing that's going to happen if you keep this up, that people will think you're just a regular guy. <laughs> and they will, instead of thinking you've got your act together and you stand above the masses and you're able to speak God's word from on high in a place of practical perfection, as I have attained... You just let the side down. So I wish I could encourage you. Mind you, I've had my own moments. I was playing with a bunch of kids in the church kitchen at Lily Day. We're doing a bob up and down job around the kitchen and we'd fall down when we hit somebody clap in the auditorium with a song going on with occasional clap. Uh, when the clap stopped, we hopped up and ran around again and then we went. Anyway, it was a deacon walked past and saw what was going on and he, we were, some of the kids were ducked down as I was behind the island bench, and he tore the shreds off the kids, mucking around the kitchen, get out of there. (laughs) I think he muttered, grow up under his breath, but I stayed down. (laughs) It it would not be a good look if they thought I needed to grow up. (laughs) Let's bow together in prayer. Lord God, give us ears to hear, we ask. Give us hearts that will warm and incline towards yours. And give us wills that are malleable in your hands, that we may hear your word and act on it. For your glory, 
For our growth we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we did have the scripture reading up there, but I think we can probably go through uh, that. And uh, Whoops. Went through it a bit too quick. We'll get there sooner or later. Just come back to us when we've finally done it. Okay. This passage of scripture is an interesting one, as there are many in the book of Hebrews. I guess Hebrews is one of those books that we don't often delve into because its structure is unusual, its terminology is foreign to us, it builds on the fact that it was talking to people of a Jewish heritage who knew their faith and their practice in uh, generations gone past and how Jesus was the fulfilment of that. And for many of us, it's just uh, too difficult and too strange. And so we don't often get in there. Uh, but there are some magnificent passages of Scripture there and uh, the one that we heard this morning is, is one of them. Now there is a focus for our encouragement this morning. Let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. Now, encouragement is a communal activity. You can only do it in community. I must admit that the passage of scripture from the children's story flew under my radar. Encourage one another daily. Does that not imply that our lives ought to be entwined together so that there is regular contact? So as we share life and ministry together, and I'm not talking in, in necessarily in its religious faith dimensions, but simply people going about the daily grind and trials and travis, uh, uh, tribulations and, and victories and joys, whatever life is throwing at us, we go through it together and share those things that are both negative and positive, time for crying, time for laughing, time for assisting, time for receiving help from others. Whatever it is, the whole uh, background to this concept of encouragement implies that it's close contact. Don't you love Facebook and how many friends you have on Facebook? Except you never see them. You never have any contact with them. It's a sort of a ridiculous idea of friendship, isn't it? Now, I know it's possible to maintain a genuine friendship over an extraordinary distance and for a great length of time. It's possible to do that. But that, you see, is the exception rather than the rule, is it not? The whole concept of friendships is that you what? You enjoy life together and each other within the comings and goings of everyday life. Now, we ought to think of meeting together as not just the formal things that the church has planned and we come together as a church body, but the informal things, just getting together even by accident, just knocking into each other down the street. Whichever way it happens, when we come together, there is encouragement. And there is a simple rule. When there is no community, when there is no interaction, there is no encouragement. Now, no, of course, can be N-O or K-N-O-W. Both words and both concepts work. When we come together, we know in both those senses, community, interactions, and we know encouragement. Now, according to Hebrews 10, encouragement has an even greater defined focus. And it begs the question, of course, if we are to encourage one another, encourage what exactly? Well, the context gives us the answer here. And the context is the growth of Christian maturity. It's in the text. It, it's, we may miss it. I know Paul, when he was talking to the Corinthian church, developed that great uh, hymn to love, 1 Corinthians 13. And at the end of it, he indicated as uh, maturity comes to perfection in the age to come, there are many things that will disappear, but faith hope and love will remain. And 
Paul said, of course, the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope and love seem to be the markers, if you will, of true Christian community. And on the journey through whatever time God gives us, we know faith, hope and love in varying quantities. And occasionally they take dents as life abrasive pressures can fray us, not only around the edges, but sometimes even to the core of life itself. But nonetheless, as the Spirit of God is at work in us, over the long haul, faith, hope and love grow and we understand new dimensions to each of those things until that time comes when we stand in the very presence of God and faith becomes sight and faith, hope and love are brought to their complete fruition for the whole of eternity and they are the hallmarks of a redeemed human character made anew, complete in the very presence of God himself. And so the context provides us with these three markers. First of all, of hope. This idea in verse 19 to 22 is trust in God's provision and blessing through Jesus Christ. What is it that we have faith in? Well, we have faith in that when Jesus has said something, he means it. We have faith in that when Jesus has done something, it's effective. And so our faith is that we don't need to work to engage God's favour. That God looks down upon us and says, well, Gary, you've been a pretty good bloke this week. Have my favour. Or he says, well, you've really messed it up. No favour from me. No, that's not how it works, is it? Our faith is that Jesus has died in our place, has taken on himself sin's penalty, my penalty, and bore it himself. Our faith is that God has so taken our sin and placed it on Jesus, and he's taken Jesus' righteousness and placed it in us, so that when God sees us, he sees his Son Our faith is that God loves us. He loved us before creation. He loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes on him has eternal life. Our faith is in the finished work of Jesus that we don't earn God's favour. And so the second idea of His marks of maturity is hope. Our future that Christ has revealed. Paul speaks about the presence of the Holy Spirit in other places in Scripture as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. All that we know in part is a promise of what we will know in full in the age to come. I like to think of it this way. That in the person of Jesus, God has taken our future and dragged it back into history so we can see how it works in the life of Jesus. And so the resurrection of Jesus becomes a living demonstration of all of the promises that God has made to us. How do we know what those promises look like? Look at Jesus. Was evil the last word? No, it was not. It was the faithfulness and the love of God was the last word. And in Jesus' life, that meant literally life again. So what has he promised us? He has promised us a new heaven and a new earth without the marks of the fall in it. And he has promised us that we will have a new body. You know, this idea, I find it quite strange that Christians buy into this thing that we float around on clouds playing harps in some disembodied spirit. I'd much rather go to a football match, to be honest. (laughs) Really? Even mowing the lawn looks attractive. (laughs) I'm sorry, no. We're going to live in a real world. And we're going to live with real bodies like Jesus, flesh and blood, but fit for eternity and completed 
in him. These are the promises that God has made to us. And the hope that we have as Christians is the hope, the sure and certain hope, that God who is faithful will fulfill his promises. And so when the buffets of life come that would throw us off course, when the very idea of the things that we're anchored to is shaken, this hope remains. And that nothing can separate us from the love of God. For that which we have seen in the person of Jesus in the past, that piece of the future dragged back into time so that we may see what God has, that hope remains alive. Sometimes I confess we hang on to that hope with almost broken cords. Life can be cruel. But for the Christian, that hope makes sense of life. It even makes sense of suffering because it promises us that it will not be the last word. It will not be the thing that has victory. God in his grace will have victory. And the third context of this is love. This is how, in particular, God has commanded us to relate to each other in verse 24. And so encouragement is to encourage our faith, our hope, and our love together. Now Barnabas is an encouragement personified, an example of encouragement. We first meet Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. His original name was Joseph, but he becomes so known amongst the apostles as a person of great encouragement that they literally changed his name to encourager, Barnabas. Now that's got to be some sort of Obviously, you know, um, almost encouragement personified. Now, Barnabas is an example of encouragement, first of all, by practical service. Can we say unselfish and generous practical service? Now, this one thing we know from the New Testament record. The church in Jerusalem was beset by poverty. And we know it had its own difficulties too. There was New Testament records of a famine that struck the church in Jerusalem and Jerusalem itself, presumably fairly strongly. And so there was an offering gathered for that particular purpose recorded in the New Testament as well. But generally there were offerings because of the circumstances of the Christians in Jerusalem. Now there are all sorts of reasons given. But right back from the early days, from the comments of the church fathers from the first couple of centuries, they made the comment that the church in Jerusalem was comprised basically of Jewish um, uh, people who had come back to Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover. And they had planned in, originally to just go back to their homes. But as we read in Acts chapter 3, the Spirit of God fell in such a way that there were thousands on the one day after Peter's first sermon, who became followers of Jesus. And instead of just simply dispersing to the four winds, they seemed, or at least a large number of them, stayed in Jerusalem. There would have been a, a network of family and friends, maybe, to support, but there were many who would have not that undergirding support as well. And so it's quite possible, and probable from the historical record as we have it, that, uh, that the church's situation in Jerusalem was unique in particular. And so as the, the, the birthplace of the Christian faith, as you will, the first Christian community, instead of it being dissipated, and therefore the faith left to work itself out in isolated individuals spread all over the Roman world, they were concentrated together for fellowship, for teaching, for growth, so that they would understand the faith in Christ that they had embraced. And so there was an ongoing issue, therefore, of dislocation and difficulty and poverty. And so we had this uh, uh, regular basis from time to time, uh, the book of Acts records, people who had houses or land uh, sold what they had 
and they laid it at the feet of the apostles for the common good so that no one would be in need. And so it was that uh, Barnabas took land that he had owned, he sold it and he bought it to the apostles. Now this is generous, unselfish, practical surface. And can I tell you that encouragement still dresses itself up in that particular form. You may not spend it on a daily basis, but you will find opportunities if you are attuned to them and aware of them, and if you choose to act, where it will be required of you to go out of your way. And no doubt the person that you are attempting to encourage will say, oh no, you don't need to do that. Well, no, of course, that's the point. The other person doesn't need to do that, except that there is an imperative on our lives to do exactly that from time to time. Now, this is a simple thing. I'm not going to mention the bloke's name because that would be an embarrassment to him. But one of the things that I have found following my stroke and the ageing process in general is that I don't have the dexterity in my fingers or the strength in my body uh, to do repairs on an older car that I love and I've had these older cars all of my adult life. And I still have one. It's had its 32nd birthday, uh, coming up for 33 in October. We have a cake and candles. The car doesn't eat much. I get most of the cake. But it's becoming increasingly difficult for me to fix things. Now, some bloke walking past a little while back, uh, I don't know why he had a hammer in his hand as well as a can of beer, but he took to the passenger rear window and smashed it to smithereens. Now, fortunately, and much to my wife's distress, I have a full-size re parts replacement department on the front lawn. <laughs> and so there is another rear window. But do you think I could get it out? It's not that it was overly difficult. It's just that I simply did not have the strength and dexterity. Now, hearing me briefly uh, say that I was having difficulty because the, the bit of plastic over the window was a... A pretty obvious thing, my granddaughter used to refuse to drive in the car because it was too loud flapping next to her. So I had to put up with my granddaughter's absence or I had to fix the window, didn't I? But I simply couldn't do it. Except this younger bloke took time out from his family life and quite a busy life at that and spent a couple of hours both getting the window out of the older car and then helping me put it back in the new one after I managed to get the door card off to enable us to do it. I'm grateful to that younger bloke. I don't know what I would have done without it. The people with the skills to fix these older cars are not exactly sitting on the, thick on the ground. I was encouraged. It was practical, thoughtful, helpful encouragement. And if you have your eyes open, your heart open and your hands ready, you will find opportunity after opportunity to give that sort of encouragement. But Barnabas wasn't only into encouragement by fairly practical and costly service, he was also into encouragement by willing association. Now Barnabas champions a new Christian by the name of Saul when Saul appeared in Jerusalem and wanted to attach himself as one of the disciples of Jesus in that early church, nobody wanted anything to do with him. It's reasonably understandable. He'd spent his time up till then as a, a zealous Pharisee, teacher of the law, persecuting Christians, being involved in their death. You can just imagine such a person turning up and applying for membership at Kilsyth South. There are probably a few folks saying, don't know that this is a good idea. <laughs> what if he's faking it? What if he's just trying to get amongst us to see who is a worthy Christian to be next on the chopping block? This doesn't seem to be a good way to grow the church. Lord, could you not send us some better quality of people? Well, that was pretty active, and understandably so, in the Jerusalem church. No one wanted anything to do with Saul. His background and history overwhelmed 
their sense of, well, yes, he's a brother in Christ. Well, no, we actually doubt that he is. What are his motivations? Has he truly changed? And if he did change so rapidly, as, as rumour has it, is it not possible that he could change back just as quickly? I think I'll lock the door tonight. No, he's not welcome as part of the small group. So what did Barnabas do? Well, Barnabas went against the flow. Barnabas defied conventional wisdom. Barnabas threw caution to the winds and befriended Saul. He listened to his story. I dare say he probably checked the story out too as much as he could. Just because you're an encourager doesn't mean that you're a naive dill. But Barnabas took the trouble to get to know this young man, to befriend him, to hear his story. So when Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they didn't believe that he really was a disciple and were afraid of him. But Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fiercely in the name of Jesus. Now that's an encourager. But Barnabas wasn't finished there. Barnabas was also involved in affirming and supportive ministry. The Jerusalem church sends Barnabas to Antioch to check on reports that the disciples there were sharing the good news to Gentiles. Now we may think, well that's normal. Well no, it wasn't. And as you read the early chapters leading up to chapter 15 of the book of Acts, there was a raging battle going on between the traditional Jewish elements of the church, many of them who had been Pharisees but now Christians, who were determined that if a person was to be be a Christian, they must first of all convert to being a Jew, to follow the law, to take on the lifestyle. This was nothing new. Today, you can become a member of of a Jewish synagogue. You can become a Jew. If you're a male, it's a bit painful. We won't go into the reasons. But it also involves a baptism for both male and female. You have to know the history. You have to know the faith. You have to be prepared to pay the cost of identification. And so in the early days, the traditional Jewish people who were part of the church, who were Christians, simply said, well, this is the norm. Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. If you follow Jesus, then first of all, you must be Jewish who sees Jesus as the Messiah. It's all very logical. It was common practice, except for the Christian element. And so this is what they insisted. You don't just preach to Gentiles and say, follow Jesus and forget about the Jewish stuff. But this is what was happening. As the church was spread through persecution, the gospel spread and Gentiles were responding. So Barnabas was sent to Antioch to see what was going on. Barnabas went to task, sorry. So Barnabas went there and found that in fact the gospel had taken root in people's lives and he encouraged those Gentile Christians to grow in grace and in the gospel. But then he went a step further. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, let's not just gloss over this. This was a remarkable foundational event in the life of the early church. And the shape of the church that has come down to us stems from what happened back then. And Barnabas, as an encourager, was central to what was happening. And Saul, Paul, became the leading apostle to the Gentiles. The bulk of the New Testament, apart from the Gospels, would not be written without Paul. And we may safely say that without Barnabas' encouragement, there would have been no Paul. 
I guess God would have found another way, but Barnabas's encouragement had to be either from him or somebody very much like him. And then there was costly mentoring. Barnabas wanted to take Paul with them, uh, Mark with them. This was on a missionary journey with Paul, but Paul didn't think it wise because John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia on a previous journey. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. So here was Barnabas doing his thing. So sold was he on the idea of encouraging young Christians that he was prepared to put his relationship with Paul at jeopardy. And in fact, we read nothing more about either John Mark or Barnabas in the rest of the New Testament. Now, we ought not to read too much into that because Luke, the author, was more associated with Paul and so reported on events from around that relationship. Now, there is some evidence also that uh, John Mark was later re-established with Paul, 2 Corinthians 4.11, 2 Timothy 4.11 rather, uh, he writes to, Paul writes to Timothy, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. And so the breach between Paul and John Mark was, re, was, uh, was repaired. But there is Barnabas at the centre again. Now, why encourage? Well, there are three reasons. There are more, I guess, but these three will do this morning. First of all, we may not have an accurate estimation of our strengths or our value. You know what it's like when somebody is really under pressure and they're buckling under it and they don't think they have the resources to rise above it, that they're falling apart? Well, encouragement comes alongside them and says, yes, you have. <laughs> you can do this. They may offer other resources. They may offer themselves to stand with them and have their back. But an encourager will always move alongside somebody else and says, yes, with the grace of God and the help of others and the strength that you have within you, yes, you can do this. Secondly, we need encouragement so that our spiritual gifts might be affirmed. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that we simply are a yes man to whatever another person wishes to come, to become. My own story, and I'll briefly mention it because I know it, and I would not be here without encouragers, is simply this. At age 14, my father died suddenly. It was a year of anger, dislocation for me, but it ended with coming to faith in Christ and my baptism at 15. At around about 16, I began to feel a sense that I could not explain it or understand it fully myself, that God was calling me to pastoral ministry. I didn't even have any idea what that really meant. And I kept it just internally and, and uh, challenged by it, uh, worried about it, in some ways appalled by it. It, it didn't really seem a good life choice. <laughs> I didn't really know what it was all about anyway. And the first person I mentioned it to was an older lady in the church now, the family was, how do I say this, straight-laced. If there was a conservative position to take it, they would paint it in brilliant colours. Social, political, theological. And the family was not above exerting influence over the church, over which pastor should be called, preferably as conservative as possible. Uh, they had to be somebody who didn't dance, didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't shop on Sundays... Uh, and basically treated Sunday like it was really the Jewish Sabbath. Now, there was a decreasing number of blokes even back in the 60s that fitted that description, but, but they would fight for them. Now, I don't know why I chose this lady, except that they had a house that was open 
and it was always there for hospitality, and it was surprisingly, given their background and persuasion, non-judgmental hospitality. And so here I am, 16, uh, hair a bit longer than my mother would have liked, but she was into basin haircuts and it was sort of creeping down a bit. And, and uh, that was a bit, you know, on the nose for this family. Uh, guys had white shirts, black ties and very short hair. Uh, I didn't fit that mould. And I would take a couple of records that I owned because I didn't have a record player, but I did have some records. And uh, Beatles, oh boy. Uh, a few other bands that I've even forgotten. But they would, with generosity, let me use their very decent record player. So I would play them. I couldn't play them on Sunday. That was a bit verboten, but other days of the week that was fine. Uh, but she was the first lady that I said, I think God is calling me to be a pastor. Now, in hindsight, I should have expected to fall off the chair laughing because I would be the least likely person that would fit the pattern that they had in mind for pastoral material. But you know what she said? She said, if God is calling you for it, follow it and I will pray for you. Whoa. I cannot put into words what that meant. I was expected to be laughed at and why I chose a person who was probably inclined to not only laugh but die of horrors. But she didn't live up to what I could possibly have expected. And I cannot even begin to tell you what that meant. Suddenly, the idea that God was calling me to this took on a less nebulous idea and became a tad more concrete. And I wish we had time, but we do not, by any measure, to talk about the people who could come into my life over the next six or seven years until I went to theological college and was called to be a youth pastor at my first year there in an inner city church in Sydney. I was filled with encouragers who opened the opportunity to teach, to take responsibility, to preach. My first sermon at 17 scared me witless. I don't think it blessed too many people, but certainly, uh, boy, I was a nervous wreck. But soon I was preaching in churches around Geelong. I was working as the counselling supervisor with Geelong Youth for Christ. I was invited on the board of Youth for Christ, the youngest board member, by nearly two decades to head up the integration of new Christian converts through our rallies and programs into churches in the town if they had no church connection. I was surrounded by encouragers who recognised the strength of the ministry that I had even without formal training and opened up the doors pastor of a Baptist church in Geelong and ex-president of the Baptist Union, Reverend Ern Andrews, took me under his wing and he became my mentor. I was only 18 at the time. And I've never forgotten the hours he spent with me, talking, discussing, praying. And as I preached at his church and others, he would seek feedback from folk who had heard me if he was not present and he would reflect with me on those experiences hours after hour after hour. On Sunday night when I was 19, before the evening service, he took a mild heart turn, took off to hospital in the back of an ambulance with 10 minutes warning. I was the preacher that night. Oh, 120-odd people in the congregation. I made it late to the service. Another guy led it, and I got there about 20 past 7, and I preached a sermon. I've forgotten it, and I suspect most people have, but by the grace of God, I survived it. I don't know how to stop with the encouragement. A guy in Sydney at the church at Waverley, uh, he was a drunkard, uh, ex-US Marine who stayed in Australia after the war, a Marine sergeant who went AWOL, and underground, how he did that since he was quite an obvious, not only American, but a Cherokee, Red Indian American. Um, he became a Christian, wonderfully converted, and he was just part of the congregation there. Can I say he was a character? He fronted up to the US Embassy and said, here I am after 25 years. They said, um, okay, we'll 
tick your box of the paperwork, you are now discharged, uh, we don't want to know about you, go away. So he did, but at least it was all squared. He was a bloke of encouragement. He told me what sort of preacher I was in very earthly language that made you wonder whether he was converted. If I preached a bad sermon, he let me know. I think he used a few Cherokee words that I don't know what they meant, but I got the, I got the bored idea. But when I hit a stroke, a, a chord with him, he let me know about that too. Encouragers come in all shapes and sizes, from ex-presidents of the Baptist Union to American Marine sergeants absent without leave. In order to better cope with difficult circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 3 verses 2 to 9, we sent Timothy who was our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one should be unsettled by these trials. How many storms in life I have weathered because folk have stood by as encouragers. Do you have to be a gifted someone to be an encourager? Let me close with this. One of the perils of picking somebody like Barnabas out of the scriptures is that people say, well, I'm not Barnabas, and you're right. He's an extraordinary example of encourager. So do I have to be a gifted somebody? Well, Luke chapter 5 tells the story of a couple of friends, at least four of them, we don't know how many, they're not named. And their mate was a cripple, couldn't move his own body, confined to a bed, so they picked him up and cut him around on the bed. Now back in the day, a cripple like that was considered to be a burden. There was no social security, no pensions, no help. So it was on the family to carry, literally, the burden. And furthermore, society looked at somebody like that bloke and said, well, he's that way because he's sinned. And it's God's judgment on him. Now, there are people around still like that today. There's even a branch of the Christian church that will tell you that if you're sick, you must have sinned. Don't go to a church like that because I can guarantee you that when you need pastoral care the most, they will tell you that you're a sinner and they won't offer you any. You've failed. They're still around. So what did these blokes do? Well, they heard about Jesus, so they picked the bed up with their friend on it and they took him off to see Jesus, except the crowds were too great and they couldn't get anywhere near him. And then Jesus went inside this, this house and people packed inside there and there were Jewish leaders and Pharisees in there sitting next to Jesus, listening to him as he talked. So what did they do? Well, they got up on the roof of the house. They could. They were uh, mud brick with branches across and mud on the roof and the place where the family lived in the cool of the evening, spread the washing out up on the roof, stairway at the side of the house. So up they went. What'd they do? I didn't think they asked permission, but they dug a hole on the roof, as you would. Pulled a few tins, pieces of tin off, a few tiles, whatever, and they lowered him down. Now, you can imagine inside the house, <clears throat> you see the Pharisee in their robes sitting next to Jesus, and suddenly a bit of dirt falls on their head. <laughs> the next thing, a stretcher appears, possibly the guy strapped onto it and lowered down feet first, and they're thinking, well, this talking around with Jesus is bad enough listening to the heresy, but look at this, what's happening here? And so the guy comes on the bed and is there on the floor in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, because this is obviously what he needs, your sins are forgiven. Well, hang on, he needs to walk. Well, yes, but that's for time. What about eternity? Now, Jesus could see the bloke's heart, so I guess that's a measure of which way his heart was. But the Pharisees were incensed. Who is this man to think he has the authority to forgive sins? So Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, says, well, what's easier, for me to say your sins are forgiven or for me to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Just to prove that I have the authority, he turned to the bloke and said, rise, take up your bed and walk. So he did. And we don't know that fellow's name. We don't know his friend's name, but just think about them for a moment. Unknown nobodies. 
who were prepared to go to that length to encourage their friend to work for his good. They didn't know what the outcome would be. There was no certainty to any of it. Would they get thrown into jail for ruining the bloke's house? Well, who knows? But they apparently didn't give a think, didn't give a thought, didn't give a think either to any of that. They just did it. So obsessed were they, so centred were they to encourage their friend in any way they possibly could that they went to those lengths. You don't have to be a known somebody with great gifts. All that we know about those blokes were that they were strong enough to cart their friend around and they knew how to pull a roof apart. This is not great a list of achievements in life, is it? But it was enough. They encouraged. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, for us, whatever our circumstances, whoever we might be, help tune us that we might be an encourager. And if at the first sign there might be somebody that we could encourage, we've tended to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear and walk the other way. Help us, Lord, this week to do none of those things, but just to say something, just to do something that would be for that person a flow of your grace, of your love, so that they might see in our actions, our words, something of what it means to belong to a true Christian community. Help us, Lord, to encourage one another, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.